Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Unprecedented, the podcast that usually takes you through the life of all of our American presidents, their ups and downs, and how they got to the White House, but more importantly, how history looks back on them. As always, with me, the man, the myth, the legend, the one that actually does the research, writes the scripts, and takes us down the sweet rows of history. Neil, how's it going? It's going good. You know, I'm feeling a bit bittersweet about ending season two now. I guess we're yeah. going to have you know, theoretically five seasons, but, you know, we've, we've gone through 20 precedents and this is our, our closer, our side episode. Yeah, we're, we're almost halfway through the entire list. And like Neil just said, uh, the side episode, that's why I said usually today we're not deep diving into a precedent. We are taking you down just a small bite. We like to, we like to break up our precedents five on five season and in between give you a side episode something else to shoe on while we uh work on the next president neil so what are we going to talk about today today we're going to talk about women in american politics finally what what uh the internet was missing two males talking about women in politics <laughs> Nah, this will be good this will be good All right, Neil. Um, I don't have a, I don't have a year fun facts. This is this is all you. I'm just gonna sit back and uh, listen to you, Neil. What's up? What's up with women in politics? Yeah, you know, a, a big part of the struggle with you know, having your own podcast, especially when it comes to one that primarily focuses on political history, is you know deciding who and what gets left out of the events taking place within them that you want to cover. And when it comes to the focus of this podcast. American presidents, there's you know always this cringe feeling in a way that at least that I feel when I'm going through my preparation of the episodes. And you know, that being, you know, the focus of every single one is just on an individual man. And you know, for 98% of them, a white man. Um, and so I think, you know, the way we've gone about, you know, structuring our episodes has you know been constantly evolving. You know, more recently I've been trying to speak to how each president has contributed to shaping some of our modern institutions and our relationships with allies and adversaries. And, but I think, you know, too often, I you know, don't make enough of an effort to acknowledge that our you know, white male leaders have left our institutions severely disproportionately represented. And frankly, you know, that's not news to any, you know, non-white male listener, but it still is not emphasized enough, you know, in, in you know, on this podcast and, and in modern society in general, you know, today, you know, as we're recording this episode, Judge Ketanji Jackson Brown is on day three of her questioning in her nomination process to become the, the first black woman to be a justice on the Supreme Court. And, you know, while I wish with everything in me for the process to just be, you know, celebrated by the broader public and our politicians alike, and to also just, you know, take a moment to reflect on, you know, just how far, you know, we still have to go in ensuring we have equal representation in our political institutions, given that this is the first time that a black woman will be a Supreme Court justice, I can't get through, you know, more than 90 seconds at a time listening to the question. Not because, you know, I'm, I'm disinterested and don't want to hear from Brown, but because the whole process is a spectacle for, you know, mostly white male senators to show, to, you know, showcase themselves in hopes of gaining attention from, you know, clickbait articles to, you know, maybe gain more support for a future presidential run. Yeah, that's kind of like the sad aspect of those hearings, and and you could even go, f you know, far back to like the Kavanaugh hearings. Even though he was justifi justifiably 
you know, grilled because his had, he does have a very shady uh, and questionable past. Most of the senators were just utilizing it uh, like, like a free ad campaign for their, for their uh, base. So it was like, it was pointless because at the end of the day, even though, even if they bring up valid points, they're still going to pass that judge, you know? They still passed yeah. them, you know? So what's the point? You know, I, yeah, I don't like that they're using that stage for it. You know, I, I, I more so understand, like, these same things happen whenever they bring, like, you know, like CEOs of tech companies in and they want to, like, kind of showcase, you know, what they think about big tech and, like, how... Yeah. Well, taking you know, their like, money behind the scenes. Right. And, and, like, yeah, fine. Like, that's not necessarily, you know, hurting our institutions in some sense. Although there are, like, pretty much still zero regulations on tech companies. That's another conversation for a different time. But it's really just um, sad, you know, to see, you know, these senators do everything. They Grandstanding, can to, essentially. Yeah. And, and, you know, to attack, you know, a, a feature Supreme Court justice on topics such as, you know, critical race theory just makes me kind of want to crawl out of my skin <laughs> as if, you know, a, a black woman of all people, you know, needs to be scrutinized for educational curriculums when, she she's a judge she's not in education you know for them existing that could be perceived to show you know racial biases within them it's again like a showcase for what is you know i think the worst of the whole american political process in, in that sense and so in saying that there's also of course you know little to no acknowledgement from these same senators that women have been shamefully shut out of holding any power in our political institutions for way too long and even today at an alarmingly disproportionate rate it's you know, wow to me just how, you know, messed up our society still is in that sense. And while we've covered periods that were much worse for women and people of color in this country, I'm, you know, not necessarily thankful to have been born in the in the 1990s still. I'm way more jealous of, you know, what I hope will be a much better represented world in all our institutions, you know, 100 to 200 years from now. <laughs> and I'm currently looking at Yusef's face. He looks skeptical. But that, I mean, that's like, that's a, for me to like, throw in like a, if we survive climate change disclaimer or any other crisis that okay okay well let's let's move on maybe we'll get back into it but just because you know non-white groups have been underrepresented in this country and in, in all positions of power um and for women you know have never had representation at all in the presidency that doesn't mean that you know women should be left out of our podcast on presence entirely like they mostly have been with you know too few exceptions up until this point and so with today's side episode you know, I wanted to take the time for us to catch up our listeners on where, you know, where we may have dropped the ball in our episodes um, or, you know, with women who have you know, made historic runs for president um, and how women have you know, influenced the office, even as you know, they've been shut out of it for as long as it's existed. And you know, I also want to make a promise that, you know, we'll you know, do better to ensure that, you know, powerful and influential women on the presidency are not left out of or, you know, largely overlooked in our episodes as they've been so far going forward. And so. I mean, you to know, be fair, to be fair to you, you are trying to summarize, yeah, maybe the an entire life or close to an entire life of a president in fifty minutes. So, you you have yeah. to understand. And if, if this podcast becomes popular, and and we we find ourselves receiving a lot of feedback i know that a, that a lot of people are going to be saying oh you left out when president so-and-so had a had a, this controversy and it's like yeah like it's impossible to cover every single moment of their president let alone every single people that interacted with them so yes yeah i'll defend you on that point like yeah like for hillary clinton or for lady bird yeah they were 
and uh, Regan's wife, I'm blanking on her right now, uh, Nancy, Nancy, like they're very prevalent to her presidency. Yeah. So yeah, you mentioned them and we talked about them, but Neil. You know. Okay. Okay. So Yusef, you know, do you know or have any guesses as to, you know, the first election we have in the U.S. where a woman ran for president? Any guess? No, I don't. <laughs> Okay. Ran well, ran in terms of like as a major uh, within the major party, it was like an independent or side. no, no, like uh, just ran in general of any party, any party oh. at all. Like first, first no. like election run. No, I didn't know either, so it's okay. That honor universally actually falls to Victoria Woodhull from the great state of Ohio. Uh, hey, she was. The, nominated by the Equal Rights Party in the 1872 election with Frederick Douglass as her running mate. Really? <laughs> yeah, Douglass, unfortunately, you know, didn't recognize his nomination here. And, you know, we we, we covered this election. Uh, it's, you know, the one in which Ulysses, Ulysses, I can never say it right, S. Grant won in 1872 after the Andrew Johnson presidency. Um, you know, but unfortunately, the Equal Rights Party did not receive any electoral votes and, and technically... Woodhull was too young to even be president, and she was only 31 at the time, but she still remained on the ballot in that election in several states, remarkably. Um, you know, according to historical accounts, you know, that I researched on, states didn't really take the 35 age limit all that seriously. Um, so while Woodhull, unfortunately, you know, had no chance, you know, really to win, that doesn't, you know, make her any less of an, you know, I think absolute badass and legend for this period. You know, she bravely advocate for issues such as, you know, sex education, women's suffrage, spiritualism, vegetarianism, and licensed prostitution. Can I, can I ask, a, can I ask a ignorant question? How is she running for president if she can't vote for the presidency? How is she running for president if you can't, if she can't vote for the presidency? Yeah, she herself cannot vote to be for the president, but she's running to be the president. Um, you know, I don't know. It's 1872. I feel like rules are like really made to be broken back then and, and mm. even like in the simplest of terms uh, but no i mean, I mean but the, the same goes for frederick right frederick um he no, was uh an escaped was 35. no no well, he, he was, was like an escaped slave right but he was it was 1872 he's free i mean it was like but did they get days. but did they get voting rights as soon as they were freed in 1872 i believe the 15th amendment was passed or 14th yeah i mean like i think that the, okay. by then like, they could vote yeah they could vote in elections but i think more importantly, like the the party that nom like if you are nominated by a party, like by a political party, if they're like you know registered, um, then you are a candidate or you can be a candidate, you know, on certain ballots, and they kind of you know put that together. I don't know too much in depth here, unfortunately, but uh, again, like the, the issues that she advocated for, I think are like just wildly ahead of her time, considering you know we don't have. Nice. Can you um, repeat yeah. her name, please, Victoria? Victoria Woodhull. Woodhull. And mm. in the 1800s, you know, she also advocated for free love. I was going to say that too, but um, that just meant that women should have the right to divorce and marry who they want. It's not like the yeah. 1960s version of it. But um, you know, she was able to advocate for these issues in her newspaper that she founded with her sister. And it was called Woodhull and Claflin's Weekly, which, again, you know, had 20,000 copies going out weekly at its height. Um, so the, the newspaper than most today. Yeah, it was no joke. And, um, you know, Woodhull was the editor famously, um, you know, that newspaper is most, sorry, most famous for um, being credited for publishing the first English translation of Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. Wow, back. There you go. Yeah. She, she, you know, she is a rebel. Yeah. You know, I still don't know 
nearly enough about Woodville yet. And it's, I just wanted to point out, you know, it's disheartening to me that, you know, I've never actually heard of her until literally this year. You know, as someone who usually prides themselves on, you know, being more historically informed than, you know, most people I never encountered or at least well, never. I mean, it's it's not it's, again, it's not your fault. I'm going to offend you because, you know, <laughs> history is written by the victor. Right. And I doubt that all this white man or this cisgender man. We had knowledge of you know, in the 2000s now, right? Like, this is. But I'm saying, like, most of your books, most of your history books that you've studied throughout your life were male centric. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, she should be on a, a pedestal as many other, you know, 19th century figures in America, you know, considering this was a, a woman having to operate in one of the most hostile periods in American history for society's treatment of women. So. She actually shared the stage for a time within the women's suffrage movement, as well with, you know, more well-known women, such as Susan B. Anthony. Um, mm -hmm. But she was actually Woodhull, that is, like, surprisingly shown up to the fringes by her contemporaries within the movement because she was considered to be too idealistic or polarizing for, you know, more mainstream figures like Anthony, who thought some of what Woodhull advocated for went too far and would, you know, halt progress rather than help, you know. That was wild, wild right? How we eat each other up how we tend yeah. to like every single movement ends up There's like eating itself from within. Which, from within yeah because it's all power i mean i think that, that goes for that and that goes for everything even the most think about the most simplest or like the mechanics union or like something like that like you wouldn't think they wouldn't be in fighting and like yep there was people just trying to cut each other's heads off yeah and people want to go in different directions all the time it's hard but you know, while she lived for a long time, she more so, you know, retreated to acquire her life at the turn of the century and died in 1927 at the age of 88. Now, I want to I want to jump ahead, you know, a bit from 1872 to 1964, you know, where we start to see the first signs that American society could you know, potentially embrace a woman candidate for president. Uh, the first woman to try in our modern era of politics is Margaret Chase Smith, who was the first woman to ever serve in both chambers of Congress and was the longest serving woman in the Senate, being elected to four consecutive terms, making up a 24 career, a 24 year career in the Senate until Susan Collins just passed her actually for that distinction in 2021. And both both Smith and Collins were senators from Maine as well. So shout out to Maine for their willingness to prioritize more equal representation in their state. But, you know, Margaret Chase Smith is at this point probably best remembered as, you know, being one of the few Republicans to stand up to McCarthyism in the 1950s in the Red Scare movement. For those of our listeners who you know don't know, McCarthyism was a term coined from Senator Joseph McCarthy, who built his career in the Senate, you know, projecting fear of having enemies within the U.S. from anyone who was sympathetic to communist or socialist ideas. And, we talked a bit about this on part one of Reagan, um, but McCarthy, you know, had a big hand in the federal government, you know, going after its own employees, you know, and these were, you know, even figures in the entertainment industry, you know, academics, mm -hmm. left wing politicians. And, you know, there's virtually no evidence that they really needed that, you know, the crime had been committed in this era. So, you know, most of these people who were removed from, you know, their jobs or in prison you know, were punished based off, you know, hearsay in a lot of cases. And so Smith, uh, bravely stood up to McCarthyism at a time where you know it was pretty unpopular to do so. Uh, she responded to McCarthy's fear-mongering of communists operating in the country by drafting her own, you know, Declaration of Conscience, which was only a symbolic measure, but was an important message of dissent. 
know, she stated the basic principles of Americanism were, you know, the right to criticize, the right to hold unpopular beliefs, the right to protest, and the right of independent thought. And so that held up pretty well because McCarthyism, you know, eventually does, you know, start to, to die and fit away by like, you know, the, the late 50s. And it kind of sets Smith up, you know, a bit for a bit of momentum for a presidential run in 1964. She knew, you know, going in that, you know, she was quoting, you know, I have few illusions and no money, but I'm going to stay for the, the finish. Um, you know, when people keep telling you you can't do it, then you kind of like to try. And, you know, the, she, again, she was a historic in the sense that she was able to get into both chambers of Congress when no other woman couldn't at that time. And actually, you know, did manage to go on and win like 25% of the vote for the primary in Illinois. It kind of gets some momentum, even if, you know, we kind of, or at least like the country knew that was never going to materialize into a major candidacy. Um, But again, it's like really symbolic, again, just to see a woman, you know, try to make that, you know, make that first jump into into running you know it's never gonna be like a just a, a huge jump into the presidency right away so and also someone i didn't really ever learn about history class as well which makes me pretty disappointed in our education system in your research uh were any of these women so far mentioned cited by you know modern women politicians that ran after them mm. like as inspirations to like the next person, yes, I'm going to talk about. Okay. But I don't think anyone, I don't know if Nobody, it's because like... She's too radical. Yeah, you know, Margaret Chase Smith isn't some, she was a Republican, but like back in the 50s, that didn't really mean, like we've just talked about, doesn't really mean like much today in that sense. And so I don't think that like Republican women look back and really champion her necessarily. But for Democrats, this next major presidential run from a woman... Um, came from Shirley Chisholm. She's someone who is quoted and was eventually she actually got the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2015, post posthumously or posthumously. I don't know how to say that correctly. Um, don't look at me. After once you once you you once you receive something after you are deceased, it's like posthumously. I don't know why I have a hard time saying that again. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna she, wave my uh, second language flag and step away from this. Anyway, Shirley Chisholm was the first black person ever to run for a major party's nomination in 1972 as a Democrat. Uh, She was a New York State House member starting in 1969 and built her career championing the enhancement of child care services and resources, um, you know, expanding the food stamp program, passing an equal rights amendment, even though that that didn't happen, and securing a minimum wage um, law in the early 1970s, which actually that did pass. We have a minimum wage today in the country. And in comparison to, you know, Margaret Chase Smith, she had a much more successful run at the time, garnered the most votes for a woman presidential candidate during a primary in history. And look, she had to deal with, you know, what, you know, she called double discrimination, you know, being a woman of color. And she eloquently and forcefully communicated that while she was, you know, that she was, you know, proud to be both a woman and a black woman. You know, she was not running to be a candidate that strictly represented only those constituencies. Uh, unfortunately, that's how much of the, you know, broader public perceived her run. And so she never received any, you know, real support from the Democratic establishment. You know, she even faced a lot of backlash from political leaders who were, you know, black men in the Democratic Party. And she noted that, you know, being a woman held her back in the election to a much larger degree than being a person of color. 
you know, there was a, a sentiment that she hadn't, you know, waited long enough for her turn and that, you know, a black man had never run for the presidency and that it wasn't right that she made the, the move to lift her specific demographic over that of black men. And, you know, I think that's a very tricky and, and hard barrier to address because as a white man, I have no idea what it means to be, you know, a, my, a minority demographic in this country and feeling like you're in a battle for political power and, and access with, you know, other groups. You know, a, a quote that stood out to me from Chisholm during this time was in referring to black men, you know, they think that I'm trying to take power from them. The black man must step forward, but that doesn't mean the black woman must step back. And so. I think that's something, yeah, that's something people, especially white people, I think never think about when it comes to, you know, all the barriers that barriers that people of color face when they are, you know, running for office. And so it makes it that much harder to find candidates who want to go through such an emotionally strenuous process. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like it's um it's a very slippery slope. Um it's I mean it depends on depends on uh no, it doesn't depend on anything. Like it's a wild statement to say that. It has to be of the time, right? It has to be because it was the 70s and women were still uh, looked down upon, but like openly. Now they're still looked down upon, but like more quietly because you can, you know, get into trouble. But back then it would be like, you can openly say women are inferior to men. Why are you trying to run if a black man hasn't run? So it is a wild statement, but it really highlights the times that they yeah. she, they were living in produce those wild statements and just keep keep walking upon your day like nothing happened. Yeah, like it was normalized. It was like, I guess, understandable, right? And like, I don't, I don't think that that's, I guess, surprising. Yeah, and, and it's also there. like, there there is a lot of, there is a lot of like, I, I struggle with it in terms of like, I am technically a minority. I am white passing, so I don't have as much scrutiny on my shoulders, but there is this wild, dichotomy that we live in and we're like yes i want to represent my my race my culture my everything but at the same time i don't want to be the one representing us you know there shouldn't be a one representing us there should be yeah. just it, we should just be you know so i struggle with that sense of like does she have to represent all of the black community or can she just be like this black woman that like this great candidate that happens to be a black woman. But no, I mean, I think, I think especially if you're the first, you know, that that's like just yeah. not possible, right? Like I actually watched, have you watched King Richard yet? Yeah. Yeah, so I watched that recently and that was like, you know, I think they have great moments in the movie where like there's like an emphasis on like, you know, whenever you go pro for it was like Venus Williams, I think like you're going to be like the black woman out there representing, you know, like a whole demographic right like and it's just always like you know whenever it's like first come along that's kind of just how it's always been how it always will be like yeah, I, yeah. but the double the double-edged sword on that is like sure in that in the case of serena and venus they exuded excellency and they highlighted like this demographic can produce incredible human beings and athletes but if it all goes sideways then it gives the excuse to people to be like, ah, see, that's why we didn't give this demographic opportunities because look at how the first one failed. So that's why like you shouldn't put everything, every egg in that basket. But I get that that's just how society is built. That's just how society views everything. Everything is like race and gender and like everything is like this 
yeah it's we have groups. to identify and it's just it's so it's so honestly it's very tiring if i'm being honest. yeah yeah i agreed and but still just yeah always important to be kind to them you know she again had a, a very successful run for you know in 1972 um being the first you know black woman to try to to run for president here i mean she did much better than margaret trace smith she received you know in the, in the california primary for example 157,435 votes which is you know 4.4 percent of a fourth place finish in that primary um altogether she received 430,703 votes um throughout the primary season which was you know 2.7 percent of you know the nearly you know 16 million votes that were placed in that election so you know a huge huge success again and just really important for representation and you know, women who come along later. Who won, you know, that, who won that election? Uh, Nixon. Nixon. Nixon destroyed. Yeah. Uh, won 49 out of 50 states. You know, while all these presidential runs so far, you know, have been long shot efforts, they were, again, like I was going to say, I'm reemphasizing, you know, extremely important for the way that women, you know, make the gains that they, you know, have over the past four years now. And we finally reached a point in 1984 where women became a vice presidential nominee for a major American political party. And that was Geraldine Ferraro when she ran on the ticket, on the Democratic ticket, that is, with Walter Mondale. Reagan and Bush did go on to win that election on a landslide. But again, the impact is deeply felt by young women seeing that. And just eight years after, in the 1992 elections, there was a major breakthrough in women being elected in Congress with 24 new women being elected to the House and four to the Senate. Which I know sounds like the four really sounds like few, but there are only three women made up the Senate at the time in 1991. So they more than doubled their prior representation by going from three to seven women in the Senate. And also, it's just astonishing that there's only three women in the Senate in 1991. Really, I mean, it's, I mean, it's impressive that there's three given the culture that we lived in. But I feel like that's that. I think that was I knew about this 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 um candidate. Uh, this vice president, because there was kind of like the same seismic shift that occurred after Hillary ran, like this all this Congress and senators and representatives, this female um, movement kind of like this wave just like hit after that run, and people were citing it like, oh, this is kind of like the similar thing that occurred when yeah when Geraldine. Uh, ran somebody cited it like oh yeah after she ran a lot of women were able to get into the senate and blah 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 yeah so yeah. it is it is something to be said of like sometimes you aren't the one that goes through the door but at least you unlock it or you mm-hmm. help help jimmy it open so you know it there's there's there is this that there is this sad nature to our society that you know we value people based on just like merits or accomplishments and a wins. lot of these yeah. this yeah wins and a lot of these accomplishments aren't aren't, aren't easily measurement yeah. yeah like you can't measure in on paper her effect like yeah you, like in terms of her only like if you look at her resume you won't see anywhere that she inspired voters she inspired other female politicians to run and then get elected 
Right. It's not like they took like measurements of all of that, right? Yeah. But I mean, you you can, and I think that I mean, you can in the sense that you just, we see what happened afterward in terms of like huge. Yeah, but it's not in her resume. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I, I think you're. I think it's a great point. It should be in the resume, and people should, should talk about Jeremy Ferraro more. That's a a huge um, you know milestone. And so let's talk about our current day here. You know, it's still difficult to come to terms with the fact that the House currently only has 27% of women filling its seats, and that's at 24% in the Senate, even though women make up, you know, about half the population at 51%. And so, furthermore, you know, women still struggle to have their candidacies be taken as seriously for president than their male counterparts. You know, NPR reported in 2018 that women running for Congress have raised an average of $500,000 less than, you know, men in the 67 most competitive districts. And, you know, the analysis also found that 34 Democratic women challenged Republicans in those districts, you know, raised a combined $34.5 million from out-of-state donors compared to $48.3 million raised by Democratic men, the 33 Democratic men. So there is this huge fundraising gap. And look, you know, this this problem is intertwined with issues, I think, beyond just the political arena, right? You know, these fundraising slash investment gaps exist in funding for startups and businesses as well, you know, between men and women. And because of that, you know, women give less money than men in elections because they don't have as much money. And so their political voice is at a further disadvantage because money is really the essential ingredient for most successful campaigns. I think that's why you saw candidates like Kamala Harris and Amy Klobuchar crash out of the Democratic primary in 2020 because before we got that deep into the election days for most primaries, because as they're not making headlines and keeping themselves in the public spotlight, they lose the financial capacity to compete fairly quickly. Part of what made Hillary such a unique candidate as a woman was that she was the first to have a financial advantage as the most well-funded candidate in the 2008 primary and 2016 primary in general. And so even though she still faced the barriers of being a woman trying to win the presidency, she checked off a major hurdle that still disproportionately hurts women in their chances to win election. It's not just finances that hold women back, though, from winning political office in 2022. Um, I think, you know, there are some common themes, you know, you know, women running for president, especially are treated and regarded in comparison to their male counterparts. Some of these, you know, things that women are held to a higher standard is likability. For some reason, that measure that measurement is much more crucial for, for women than of men. There are I like find these, that find that their education is also like a huge topic of discussion, like their um, qualifications. yet. I've never heard or rarely heard other male politicians be questioned based on their education. And given how you watch the hearings that we were referencing in the beginning, you would question a lot of these folks' education if you heard them speak. But there's also these biases of public perceptions of what it means to be you know, presidential, I say that in quotations <laughs> here, uh, have an impact you know, on how voters perceive women candidates like they don't meet that presidential like i guess label in the same way it really feels like i don't even know what that would that means something different to every individual right in a way but at the same time there's still the same there's this bias that's being projected out as you measure it across you know a large amount of people which i think is just very fascinating you know there's also there's also 
you know, this double standard about how women are treated in the media. There, you know, there's coverage of women's candidates, you know, personalities, and it, you know, much more in which they take the emphasis, you know, off, you know, a woman's, you know, policy, like, you know, their, their ideas or their positions. And when it comes to things like ethics, well, I think women are placed in the higher pedestal as we could easily see with, you know, Monica, even though Monica Lewinsky didn't run for president, you know, Bill Clinton was literally the president. And this was like kind of like a whole ethical issue, right? And she was much more scrutinized than Bill Clinton, but more scrutinized than most male candidates, like huge majority of them. Um, in terms of issues of ethics, I mean, with the whole email, you know, BS and, and all that just happening in 2016. And she has a questionable past. I mean, even if you think I'm the email yes. thing is something, it's definitely not. Um, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it was like blown up to a sense that was just like really. And it's not. It's people. not just. It's not just her. It's like it's the Clintons. The Clintons have a. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a study, you know, that female candidates face, you know, more negative social media coverage than their male counterparts. Where, but I feel you know, like that's that's like females as a whole. Like, well, that's you, that's I don't think that that's true. I oh think, yeah, I think it, like think about like. Well, like wait, a, you think that? I, I, my bad. Let me let me backtrack. You think that it's females as a whole, like, face more scrutiny in social media? It? Yeah. Like no, receiving it or giving it. Females receive more scrutiny. Oh, okay, okay. My bad. I thought you meant. I thought you meant giving it. My bad. No, no, no. Like, like, just watch any YouTube video that has a single female in it, and go to the comments and just realize what I'm saying about the world as a whole. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, that's probably. I don't like not believe that, right? And you know, tweets, for example, you know, are more concerned about a woman's character rather, again, like than her policy takes. They did a study on like you know tweets being directed at politicians. And then there's also this bias within traditional media as well, you know, which you know remains mostly like an obstacle for women's political ambition. You know, coverage of women in politics is, you know, both in just quantity and quality, you know, has a negative impact on women's political ambitions and their viability as candidates and ultimately on societal expectations of women in power. And so, you know, I think a problem in 2022 that's especially unique for our time is that people really want to vote for a candidate also who they think is going to win because the stakes have you know never been higher you know whichever party you support you're probably you know terrified of the other party having power at this point you know given how you know much we've elevated the temperature right and so i mean if you if you're a republican at this point you would literally like take anyone with an r next to their name to be president over a democrat i mean that that's can see that happening again for like 95 percent. and same thing's true for democrats and because of the barriers that we have, you know, talked about in this episode, a woman has never won the presidency. And so people are more inclined to take someone in a primary who has like the best, again, with quotations, best chance of winning the general. That's essentially what happened in 2020. People gave up on Elizabeth Warren and A.B. Komashar because they didn't think a woman could beat Trump, especially after seeing Hillary lose in 2016 is another issue. Like the barriers are endless. Like if you, if you don't like it again, there's another study that like I saw in the lead up and researches episode that like people are more willing to get behind women candidates if they like see a consensus from their peers or from like media coverage in general. Women like the woman that they're going to vote for has an actual has a chance to win or like is likely to win. Like people yeah, I feel are very, like I feel like yeah, it is very highlighted in terms of like women's careers. 
in, in in political atmosphere, but I feel like that's just highlighting politics as a whole. Like even it's if it's if there was not a single female <clears throat> running in that race, you're people are still viewing it in those terms. Like even if it's just ten males versus ten males, people are still gonna be like, which is the best male that's gonna get the votes? Like Unfortunately, yeah, that's we're no longer like looking you for. You didn't feel that sentiment though in a in the Democratic primaries. Like, who's going to be the best person to beat Trump? You know, like. In, I mean, for, that's what I'm Democrats. saying. That's that's yeah. I'm I'm agreeing with you, but I'm saying like, even if it if it's ten females versus ten females, people are no longer looking for the best candidate or the one that you identify with the most. You're just looking for what candidate will knock out the enemy. Which is the other party, and that goes for both ways, Republicans and for Democrats. Yeah, I guess that my point is that I don't think that today, right? Like whoever the boogeyman is for either party in twenty twenty four, like it, the, the the field is going to have women and men in it for either party in the primary, and so like the the person that the people are, I, mean, I think the bias is still going to be that oh the man whoever like the strongest or the man yeah. that makes the most sense is going to win out over a woman that makes the most sense, right? Like, I Probably. mean, and, like, I could see that, like, actually not being the case. You know, like, Republicans, for example, I think would have a very good shot if they um, nominate someone like Nikki Haley. You know, like, she is someone who would be very popular, who do very well in a general election. She's, like, relatively moderate for today's Republican Party, but, like, has foreign policy expertise and all that you know, sorts of, you know, like qualified, like, you know, types of background that presidents usually like seek out before running. Yeah. You no, know, same thing for Amy Klobuchar. Also someone who's like very in, you know, she was a, was a, a, a prosecutor and attorney uh, before becoming a politician and has like a strong legal background. And so um, we'll, we'll see, but you know, I'm not like, I, I really hope it happens soon. I don't think it's going to happen for Kamala. I'm just like kind of spouting off my opinions at this point in terms of like where we're at right now. But yeah. you know, it, it is like I think Kamala is also like a talking point as well because she's been virtually invisible. She's the first vice president, first women vice president in our history. I haven't even brought her up yet, and she's being like shut to like you know being invisible. Like we we I don't. Do you think it's because of the narrative? Crazy. Do you think it's because of the narrative that a lot of people? were spouting in the beginning that Biden was like a puppet and she was going to be the real president. So they're trying to showcase that Biden is actually the president in terms of the I mean, public perception. Perhaps, but I, I think that we all expected her because to you, be you can, more president. One has to assume that, you know, Biden's ego was hurt with, with those comments. So well, you talking about the, to... the primary where like she yeah. talked about his busing stance in the 19... 19- 70s. No, no, no. I'm talking about like once once he was elected, everybody was like, "Oh, Biden is gonna kick the bucket in two months because he's so old." And Kamala is actually the running mate, and that's why, and she's gonna be the president. And that's why they put her there because Biden is just like a puppet that she's gonna use towards the presidency. So yeah, but that was kind of like case, right? No, no. Obviously, that's what I'm, I'm trying to say. Like maybe that's yeah. why. She's being pushed to the side because Biden's ego got bruised and he's trying to showcase, like, I'm uh, actually the president. 
that's I mean that that's definitely um you know a a reasonable the- or you know like a theory that like you know could be like entertained, but I don't think that's it. I think that it's i mean I don't know if they don't have like confidence in like how she's performed in like some of like the more um She's not like some goofs. Higher profile events. I don't I don't know. I haven't really seen her in any like significant event like in front of like the American people. Like this is this is like a big deal. You know, she's I follow her on, on Instagram and I mean mostly like she's just like doing things that are like have that are not like she's speaking to among different issues with people like that have no relevance in the news right now. Like that's why I'm just confused. Like it, I think that like the reason she wanted to be vice president also is to, because she wants to make a presidential run again. She ran in 2020. She has like no momentum. She has a lower approval rating than, than Biden. And so if I were her, I mean, she has to be extremely frustrated and there's probably gonna be a lot of reflection on, you know, how badly her vice presidency has gone and how much is that attributed to her being a woman? You know, like she's kind of being again, like shut, shut out of the administration in a sense. Like, it's almost comparable to how like Johnson was shut out of the Kennedy administration. I don't know. She's not necessarily, she wasn't in the Senate for 20 plus years and wasn't the Senate majority leader, but she definitely is a, is a big player. Like, well, what, well, what were you, what were you expecting in terms of like, how was Biden doing that? Were you expecting like a Dick, like um Dick Cheney level of vice, pres- vice president? Not, not, not a Dick Cheney level necessarily, but like even Trump put Mike Pence on like the COVID task force, you know, and like he was out doing the, <laughs> he was out in front of the people every day, like uh, just talking about like, yeah. I, I saw Pence more than Trump at some points. And so like, I, yeah, I'm confused. True. Like why not put her, up, why not make her the lead on an important project? She's not the lead on anything that is relevant to, you know, I think, what is relevant like in our news and maybe that's a maybe that's a criticism of our news right like it's not it's not necessarily her fault that like now i think it's a war too like i don't know this is yeah. I, i'm 100 sure this is a party's doing and they're just they're just setting know. up I, they're setting up for something else and no she's and definitely just, not well positioned like i don't think brian's gonna run 24 2024 she's not well positioned to win the nomination in 2024 i don't think I they think, want her Honestly, it looks like she's kind of being distanced out, so she doesn't have a strong candidacy. I, like, that's, I mean, what I'm, that's why I'm saying. That's why I'm saying. Like, I feel like she's being shunned. That's feel like, feel like Biden like, and the rest of the party is just like, like this slowly is like a theme pushing for her the entire out. Episode, right? Like, how disappointing is that? That the first female vice president is being shunned by the you know administration. Like, that's just that's so sad. That's very. I don't know. I. I, I had higher hopes. I had higher hopes for, you know, there can't have hopes <laughs> anymore, Neil. Can't have hope. Uh, That's on you right now. That's on you. That's your fault. Hundred percent on you, Neil. I really just hope that, you know, I'm not forty years old and we still haven't had a woman be president and we're still just on this like again, like how I, old are I, you? I'm twenty seven. We're gonna have an election in two years and you're gonna be twenty nine. And that one is not gonna be a female. Why so, did you say that? Oh come on, dude. So the next one, you're gonna be 33 and 37. So you have two chances before you're 40 for a female president. I have higher hopes for 2024. I think that I think that honestly it could be that women win. I mean, 
I guess there's like a big question mark on the Republican Party, right? Because if a certain person decides they want to run, they're going to win a nomination. But, you know, if, if both like the 2020 nominees don't run in 2024, I think it could both be women that win a nomination, which I would be, you know, super happy about. Because then that would just guarantee you know, we're going to have a winning president, you know? That's something you're that just, we can all. You're just behind. setting yourself up for a hopeful. <laughs> you're, but you're just setting yourself up for disappointment again, Neil. Because you just stated, you just stated prior to analyzing how Sean Kamala is right now, you just stated that we've come to a point where we're just, who is going to beat X uh, candidate? And if he who should not be named runs, (laughs) a female is not going to run against him because you just said that the way that the political system is established is not going to be like, who's the best candidate or who should be the next candidate. It's going to be who can beat him. And do you think that that political system is going to trust a female to beat him? No, I think so. So thank you, Neil, for proving me right when I said, come on, Neil. So you, but that's basically you saying you, he who must not be named is going to run. That's you saying. Oh, 100%. He's he's campaigning 24-7 in Margo. Like 24-7 campaigning. Like he hasn't stopped. He loves. He loves to run. He hates to be it, but he loves to run. Like that just fuels him. Like he, he's like a stand-up comedian on tour 24-7. Everybody just eating up his jokes and his and yeah, his so he's gonna run for sure. Yeah. I don't know if he's gonna win. Like probably it's gonna be a tight race again. But hundred percent he's gonna run. This is so depressing. I mean <laughs> I don't like I, I this episode, I really actually, I'm, I'm glad we did this episode. Obviously, you know, for a lot of reasons, and like this episode was very well needed. But at the same time, like I just like, how do you not feel hopeless in a sense? Like <laughs> even though as we've been making all this progress, like I think that you know, if it, if it takes a long time still for women to be president, I really hope that there's progress in Congress in representation. Of like course, we still just go up. You know, I, I have optimism that that's going to happen. That there's going to be strong. Female candidates, you know, in Republican and Democratic Party that are still going to keep, you know, coming up. I think that the, that barrier at least is. What does know, it mean? I'm going to ask this question so you can like go on a little bit of a philosophical rant. <laughs> but what does it mean if we've if we never elect a female president? What do you mean? What does it mean if we never? That, that's not an option, right? Like we never. That, that can't, what does it mean if we don't? I don't like if you're in your deathbed. If you're in your deathbed and you never saw a female president, what does that mean as a, us as a society? I mean, I think that's obvious, right? It means that it means that, like, I I don't know, like, I I think on my deathbed would feel like a failure, just in it within myself. Like my life was a failure that, like, I lived for seventy five years, knock on wood, hopefully at least, like, and you know didn't push for this more maybe maybe this is like a calling card like like i i was already kind of adamant or i've been adamant like post 2016 like i just want a woman to run not like things kind of changed because things got so I'm, I'm, I'm like showing too much political view i'm showing too many political views right now i feel like but like 2020 was just like a you know election that you know was kind of like a desperation election in my mind right and so like going forward from that I just think there's no like you don't like, see it, it, but you don't see it, it that that wasn't that wasn't an outlier. That was kind of like 
what it no, is. No, there shouldn't be. I, I think that male candidates need to stop, especially like, you know, for the party, if, if, a, if you know, there's a party that claims, like there's one party that claims that it has like, you know, more I, idealism in terms of like actually being about equal representation and like having like, you know, again, more equal representation in our institutions. And so they really are about that. And they shouldn't run male candidates in primaries going forward, I think. If I were the party leader, I would I would say we don't have male candidates again until a woman is president because this has just been way too long. I, I mean, that is like, a, people would probably be outraging me for saying that, maybe people listening or whatever, but like that is my, that is my opinion on this after, you know, going through this episode and just reflecting a little bit right now, like that, I mean, if it has to come to that, then I wouldn't, wouldn't you wouldn't you think that's pandering though wouldn't you want a female candidate to beat out a male candidate to win the, the nomination i yes of course i want that to happen and i think that it will happen but like people like i just don't want i i think i'm in i don't want to wait another 30 years for it you know until like people yeah. finally are convinced like I, I think that people like people won't jump in cold water unless they're pushed into it I hate cold water. Like that's someone like me, you know, like I, like you have, you have to, and that's just like, I'm actually speaking towards actual, it's not like a metaphor for me. Like I, I want a woman to be president. I'm saying that like, I just, you know, people are not going to get behind this unless, I don't know that maybe that sounds bad. Maybe that sounds bad. Maybe I just sound like a, like a autocrat now. I don't know. I'm just being, I, I'm getting a little frustrated with like just my process of thinking right now. <laughs> I'll let it I'll uh, I'll edit out anything that you want. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm not even like I don't feel flustered in that. Like I, I'm losing my train of thought. I'm flustered in that. Like I can't answer the question in a way that it, you know makes sense to me. Because I, I, yeah, like I, I can see why people would think that that is like wrong. Like it's why it's pandering in some sense. Like like you know we should if a woman's going to be president, they should you know beat out you know anyone who wants to run for president right like that's mm -hmm. and that and i feel like you know people could really say that's like an american thing like you know you have to go through like the whole process and like but i'm a believer yeah, because in... you don't want you don't want people to discredit you don't want people to that type of um, accomplishment you don't want it to be seen that it, as it was just given like yeah. you know it has to it has to be earned like all the all those senators that broke through, all those women that broke, broke million bar barriers—they earned it, and well, the, men, public, well, the public really was forced it. to accept it. <laughs> but I just feel like men had to do so much less to earn it, and that's what frustrates me. Like, it, it, I—it really will be like overcoming so many more odds and so many more barriers when a woman does win the presidency. I don't know. Man, let's like, check. No. Let's check back in with Neil at forty to see where we at. <laughs> really hope we don't have to do that. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> we'll do a special podcast. This <laughs> podcast would have been done years, but we're gonna do a special podcast of Neil's fortieth birthday, and we're gonna check back in <laughs> to see how politics are. Okay, I'm. All, I'm. You know what? No matter what happens, yeah, I, I think that because I'm. Be I'm glad that this podcast is finite because. The more I learn through this podcast, the, the more and more jaded that I'm becoming. So I don't think I could do this for a long, long time. I like I like it that we have 45 precedents to cover and like that's it. Yeah. But you know, who knows? Then we have, you know, like no 45, 45. It's finite. It's finite. <laughs> okay.
Okay, well, I, I'm ready to wrap it up. I think that I've exhausted myself in All right. Yeah. I, I love I love the beginning of the episode. Um, I'm sorry that we got derailed by frustrations of current politics, but <laughs> I love that Neil uh, highlighted uh, Victoria Woodhull, uh, Margaret Chase Smith, and Shirley Chisholm. And and Kamala Harris to a certain extent. She was, you know, the yeah, first. And Geraldine Ferraro. Yeah. And uh, Hillary Clinton. Um, yeah. All of them are tra trailblazers to a certain extent. Um, all of them have slowly, you know, nudged that door open, and we're just we're just waiting for that that female candidate, whoever they are, to just step through and just take us know, over the top. Yeah. Let Neil rest in peace. All right, so we're gonna take not just me, but no society. But you know, we all, gotta we yeah. gotta make jokes, Neil. Every now and then, I'm like, I'm, that's what they pay. That's what the people pay me for, you know, one joke per podcast. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is season finale. Technically, season finale was JFK, but this is officially the end of season two. Um, we're going to take a small break. Probably it's going to be less than a month, maybe a month, depending on how we bank the episodes. We I like to take the end of the season to just bank a few that way the editing and the research for Neil is not so taxing, but I don't know if, it, do you want to spoil which we have a plan or do you want to keep them, um, keep them waiting Neil? I mean, I feel like we should, we could do, we could do a spoiler. Let's do a spoiler. Do a spoiler? Yeah. All right. So we're planning on tackling a family dynasty. Well, it, it could have been a dynasty, but a certain brother uh, really fumbled the ball. We're going to do a two-parter on the bushes. That's going to be season three opener. We're going to tackle both father and son's presidencies, their parallels, how they shaped society, how they crashed the economy, how they started fruitless wars, how they are looked down upon by a lot of historians. Yeah, I'm very excited. I have a lot of opinions. I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna. And be I know a, that Neil Neil has a lot of opinions as well. <laughs> be a lot of jumping around these episodes, so get ready for that. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be like it's gonna be uh, unique. It's probably gonna be its own episode. Like I don't think there's gonna be another like it, um, uh, another episode like it. So I am very excited for that season three opener. So something for for you to marinate on while you wait for the new season, if you. If you're down, you're wanting to hear more episodes, scroll through our library. See if you missed an episode here or there. Make sure to look at the side episodes. Some people are ignoring the side episodes because they're looking for that precedent they want to hear. So go back and listen to the side episodes. Yeah. Yeah, they're good listens. Like this one specifically is a good example of it. All right. Yeah. Neil, yeah. Uh, follow us on all the social medias. Rate us. Subscribe. Um, share with your friends, let us know how we're doing, follow us on our socials and let us know what episodes your favorite, what's your least favorite, what Neil, Neil missed, what he didn't say. And uh, see you in a few weeks. Bye. See you, everyone. Bye.